Please, please do that. Yes, we're good. Thank you, sir. Yes, we're good. Find your seats. Okay. Go ahead. That's a good thing. Woo! Back in your seats. Am I on? Nope, tie. Hey, it's great to see everybody. And it's great to hear that sound because when you're fellowshipping like that, that means there's not much strife, division, or backbiting or that stuff going on in the church. If we call for a greeting time and everybody stays in their pews, then we got a problem. I'd rather struggle to get you back than struggle to get you to greet. Well, if you're visiting with us, we always begin with a brief introduction and review of what we had last time. Now, actually, last time, Josh preached for us, and I want to acknowledge that. Thank you, Josh. So this is two weeks ago that we're talking about. Two weeks ago in our series through Acts. Chapter 28, verses 11 through 16. The title was, No Doubt. And the title was taken from the verse, when we arrived in Rome. If you've been with us for any amount of time, then you know the story. You've been following along as we've watched Paul's journey, observed Paul's journey. God promised Paul he would get to Rome, he'd get there safely. Then you know there was arrest, there was persecution, there was imprisonment, there was storm, there was shipwreck, there was snake bite. But there was ministry assignment waiting in Rome, and God promised Paul, you'll get there safely. All hell, lo- all hell broke loose against him, and it seemed anything but like he would get to Rome alive. Yet he did. And our point to ponder last week was this. God is incredibly faithful. If God promises something, God comes through. Even when it seems like he's not, even when we don't, we can't understand or make any sense of it, God is incredibly faithful and we can fully trust him. That's an easy message to preach because it's true. Now here's the rub. I know many of you, I know things that you're going through and right now that truth is being challenged in your life. That God is faithful that God is good, that God is love, that you can trust him. That's being challenged in many of our lives. We said two weeks ago that it's imperative that we know God is incredibly faithful and we can fully trust him. We need to know that all the time. We especially need to know that in these days. 
because of strategies that the enemy, Satan, is unleashing against us, against believers, against the church in this day. And those strategies of the enemy are intended to directly cause us to doubt God, who he is and what he says, even his written word, if possible. No doubt, do not doubt, have no doubt, resolve or determine within yourself to not doubt regardless. And remember this, God is always, 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 always greater than Satan's strategies. What? Thank you. There better be an amen on that. God is always greater than Satan's strategies. God always takes Satan's worst and he turns it around for his glory and our good. Always, always, always. Trust him. Resolve and determine to trust him. And God has been addressing this issue with us a lot lately. You need to trust me. You need to stop trying to figure things out. You need to stop trying to control things. You need to trust me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean until your own figuring it out. Anybody guilty of that, though? Oh, a lot of hands. Me too. On to today's message. Dawn, you can come. We'll stand. Acts 28, 14 through 22. Once we're all standing and, and ready, Dawn, then read good and loud. There we found some believers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters in Rome had heard we were coming, and they came to meet us at the Forum on the Appian Way. Others joined us at the three taverns. When Paul saw them, he was encouraged and thanked God. When we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he was guarded by a soldier. Three days after Paul's arrival, he called together the local Jewish leaders. He said to them, Brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman government, even though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors. The Romans tried me and wanted to release me because they found no cause for the death sentence. But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people. I asked you to come here today so that we could get acquainted and so I could explain to you that I am bound with this chain because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. They replied, We have no letters from Judea or reports against you from anyone who has come here, but we want to hear what you believe, for the only thing we know about this movement is that it is denounced everywhere. Thanks, Don. Very good. Maybe seated. So I'm excited to preach this message to you because I'm living it. Thank God for fellow believers. Can I get an amen on that? Thank God for fellow believers, brothers and sisters. The word fellow there means like-minded, associated or connected by certain beliefs or activities that you join in together. 
It carries a sense of a common bond existing between, among, or with others, fellow believers. Now, we actually covered verses 14 through 16 last time. But I included them here again because they do connect with the thoughts in this passage. And it's going to lead to our application. As we always do, we exegete the, par- the, the passage. We, we give the facts of the narrative. We, com- common, we make commentary on the facts. And then we have application. So let's begin the exegesis of Acts 28, 14 through 22. Thank God for fellow believers. Can you say that? Thank God for fellow believers. I don't know where I'd be without them. There we found some believers who invited us to spend a week with them. The brothers and sisters in Rome had heard we were coming and they came to meet us. Then others joined us. When Paul saw them, he was encouraged and he thanked God. Now, as we said, we had these verses two weeks ago, but I want you to notice again, Paul was refreshed. Paul was strengthened. He was encouraged and he was grateful filled with gratitude for the opportunity to gather with other believers, followers of Christ. Hold that thought. We'll revisit it again at the end of the message. Acts 28, 17. Now, this is new material for us. Three days after Paul's arrival, he called together the local Jewish leaders, and he said to them, Brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman government. Even though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors. There's a reason why Paul wanted to connect with the Jewish religious leaders in Rome. That will come in verse 20. We'll see why he called the Jewish Roman leaders together. But first, what I'd like to point out from this verse, I just want to point out the curious fact that he waited three days. I think there's some significance to that. Hey, Paul's a go-getter, right? Scripture paints a a picture of Paul that he's possibly impatient at times. Why did he wait three days? Does that seem like Paul? Does that fit his normal modus operandi? He's already antsy because he had to spend three months in the harbor at Malta. And he wanted to get to Rome way before this. Why did he wait three days? Again, hold that thought. And we'll try to answer it in the conclusion. For now, though, when he did get them together, he states his case. He pleads his innocence. He wants to tell them his side of the story. He wants to clear his name, so to speak. And and just a side note, you know this and I know this. There's not much worse than being falsely accused of something that you did not do. You just want to clear your name. I wasn't even going to, I don't know why this story popped in my mind, but we were at Music in the Park Saturday night, and I saw an old friend, and just to be blank, blunt with you, we got arrested together on Christmas Eve. So we were telling somebody else that and why we got arrested, and it was for something we didn't do. So I'm thinking, all the things that I have done and the time I got arrested was for something that I didn't do? You just want to clear your name, but nobody would hear us. That wasn't the only time. I'll tell you about it then. (laughs) 
I wasn't always a Christian, and I definitely was not always a pastor, just so you know. <laughs> so he was arrested in Jerusalem by the religious leaders there. Then he was turned over to the Roman authorities on bogus charges. He was moved to a white-collar prison in Caesarea. We followed all this. He spent two years there. He appeared before, and he was tried by two governors and a king in Caesarea. He continues, the Romans tried me and they wanted to release me because they found no cause for the death sentence. But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people. So the Romans thoroughly tried Paul, vetted him. They investigated all the charges and they found no cause. They found no crime. They found no reason to declare him guilty. The Romans in charge wanted to acquit Paul. However, the Jewish religious leaders, they would not have it. They would not give up. They persisted. They plotted. Several times they tried to assassinate Paul. The Jewish religious leaders wanted to kill Paul. Roman officers wanted to acquit him. Jewish religious leaders wanted to kill him. His only resource of getting out of that situation was to appeal to Caesar because he was a Roman citizen. Or they would have eventually succeeded, killed him. But of course the good news, by appealing to Caesar, this meant that he would be shipped to Rome. Which in God's mind and in Paul's mind was the end game the entire time. He didn't know how he was going to get there, but that was the end game. Got to get to Rome. In our passage today, he is finally safely in Rome. And he wants the Jewish leaders in Italy to know that he's not looking for trouble. He didn't come there looking for trouble. He's not pressing any charges against Jewish religious leaders. He's not going to sue or bring a lawsuit for his unjust imprisonment and mistreatment. That's what he's trying to convince them of. But that's not why he gathered them together. Verse 20 gives the reason why he gathered them together. I asked you to come here today so we could get acquainted, so I could explain to you that I am bound with this chain because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, Jesus, has already come. There it is. Typical Paul. I do want to get to know you guys. I am hoping to clear my name of false impressions. But why I really came here, why I really called you here, is I want to tell you about Jesus. That was his life mission. That's your life mission, whether you know it or not. As a believer, if you're truly a believer, that's why you're alive. He wants to tell these religious leaders now in Rome and in Italy about Jesus, the Messiah, and that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what got him in trouble in the first place. Paul always undaunted, tries yet again to present Jesus as the Messiah to Jewish religious leaders. Their response. They replied, we have had no letters from Judea or reports against you. Could you imagine Paul's face? You got no bad news against me? Woo, this is new. This is a first ever. You mean I'm not already walking into a lion's den? Woo! We have had no 
no let, we have had no letters from Judea or, Judea or reports against you from anyone who has come here. But we want to hear what you believe. Because the only thing we know about this movement is that it's denounced everywhere. Okay. Good news, bad news. Good news. This is a pleasant surprise for Paul. Somehow no bad reports of him, per se, had reached these Jewish leaders. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. They had heard bad reports about this movement, the Jesus movement, the way, Christianity. And they probably, they had to, it doesn't say it, but they had to know that Paul had converted and that he was a chief leader of this movement. They had to at least know that. Yet, these Jewish leaders seem more civil and more rational than those in Jerusalem and other places Paul had been because they wanted to hear what Paul believed. They wanted to hear Paul out, hopefully to make their own determination about it. So we'll see next week. And by the way, that's the last sermon in, in the book of Acts next week. Then the baptism service. That's why we're stressing that so much. If you're here and you desire to be baptized, I need to know as soon as possible so we can go through the process and get you ready for that. Not next week. The week after that, we'll have the baptism service right here Sunday morning at 10. Next week, we'll see that they're going to set a day. The Jewish religious leaders are going to set a day and a time for Paul to meet with them and to explain to them his beliefs. That's where we'll leave it today. And we'll pick it up again next week. There's always a point to ponder from these narratives, from this exegesis. And the, import, the, the point to ponder today is the importance of fellowship with other believers. This is the issue I believe God wants to address with us today. The importance of fellowship with or the fellowship among believers. It is essential to be effective in kingdom work. It is essential if we are to thrive and to flourish as Christians. And actually in these days, it is essential to simply survive as a Christian. We totally need each other. Now, we don't all love each other all that much, buddy, buddy, but we totally need each other. We cannot take this lightly, and we cannot take it for granted. And I learned that this week, which I'm going to share with you, which I, I already knew it, but I mean, it was driven home to me this week, and I'm going to share that with you as an illustration at the end. But we totally need each other. There are more aspects to this fellowship of believers to this truth, to this concept scripture in Scripture, than just attending official church gatherings, like Sunday a.m. worship, small groups that we have, prayer meetings that we have, picnic, fellowship events, service, homeless shelter, pregnancy center. Those are all opportunities to get together. They're official opportunities. And as important as that is, this goes much deeper than that. Some of us, can I just be blunt with you? Some of us only gather. Some of us only